Let's pray. Father, as we come before You this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with You and the, and the call to be more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be familiar with this commercial. It came out in 1998. It was redone again in about 2015. And see if you remember this commercial. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. How many of you remember that commercial? All right. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. And how were you like Mike? Just drink Gatorade and you were going to be like Mike. Unfortunately for some of us, uh, gravity had a little more effect or has a little more effect on us than on Mike. And, uh, but then they came out with Air Jordans. And I remember I was coaching at the time when Air Jordans, uh, part of the time where they were very, very popular. And, and so I remember the basketball players that I coached, oh, if I just had Air Jordans, my game would just increase. And, and they'd practice all the moves that uh, Michael Jordan would uh, do that they would see on TV. Just to be like Mike. But let's think a little bit about what it means to be like Mike. And I'm sure you have these memorized. I wrote them down so I would uh, remember them. But uh, during his basketball career, he made 49.7% of his shots. What does that mean? That means that he actually missed over half. In his 15-year career in the National Basketball Association, he won six championships. That means there were nine years he played that he didn't win. He was chosen most valuable player five times. That means ten, year, ten years during his career, he didn't win that award. Now, Michael Jordan was and is an incredible basketball player but he's imperfect. And while the commercial tells us to drink Gatorade and be like Mike, the Bible tells us we're to be like someone else. And that's Jesus Christ. We are to be like Christ to the best of our ability. Now, Jesus Christ being the perfect Son of God, we're not going to be exactly like, by, like Christ. 
but our call is to be more like Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul challenges us to be like Christ, to have the attitude of Christ. And we find that in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are called to have an attitude like Christ. We are to imitate His attitude. Verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that term mind mean? That term mind simply means our attitude. We are to have the attitude that Christ has, this attitude of humility that's described in these next verses. And if you remember back to last week, we saw the the goal that Paul challenged the church at Philippi to have, and that goal was to be unified. Not uniform, but unified. They were to be unified, and in verse 2 we saw that they were to have the same mind, that they were to maintain the same love, that they were to be united in spirit, and they were to be uh, intent on the same purpose. They were to have those goals of being unified in Christ. And then as we looked in verses 3 and 4, we saw that that unity could only take place when they demonstrated humility. And now in these verses, we see the ultimate example of humility, and that's the example of Jesus Christ. And in verses 6-8, through we see how He demonstrated that unity. He gave up His power and authority for others. Verse 6 says, "...who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God." The word form, or your Bible may say image. It means the inward nature. And the Greek language has two words that that are used for that word that we translate form or image. One is an image that's changeable, and the other is an unchangeable image. And this term that Paul is using here is an unchangeable image. Jesus Christ never ceased to be God while He took on human flesh. His coming to earth is what we call the incarnation. And the incarnation is central to Christianity. And we have to understand that, the importance of recognizing that Jesus Christ, while He took on human flesh, never ceased to be God. He was fully God, fully man. Now, Using the term fully, can we fully understand that? (laughs) In our human 
finite mind? No, we can't. But that He was God and that He came as a man are both vital to Christianity. They're central. If we say, well, Jesus Christ was a good teacher, but He wasn't God. He was a great person, a wonderful leader, a wise man. If we say those things, but, but don't recognize that He is God, then the crucifixion and resurrection are, are worthless in the fact that it took that perfect Son of God coming to be the perfect sacrifice to pay the payment for our sins. And if you go out on the street and you ask people, who was Jesus Christ? They'll say, well, He was a good teacher. He lived a couple thousand years ago. He taught us how to live well with others. Well, yes, He did live on this earth a couple thousand years ago and He did teach us how to live well with others, but it's much more than that. And the purpose for His coming was not to teach, even though He did, and that's important for us to follow. Not that He did miracles, even though those miracles were incredible blessings to those people He performed the miracles for. But He came as God in human flesh to die for our sins and to rise again to give us victory over sin, victory over death, and hope for eternal life. The incarnation, God came in human flesh. Fully God who took on human flesh. So, what did He do? Well, while He was still God, Jesus did not consider His power and His authority things to hold on to. He didn't, in your, verse, your version may say, that something to grasp, something to hold on to. Instead, He set aside His power and authority as God to come to earth as a servant and sacrifice for us. He served others. He served us. Verse 7 says, But He made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He completely waived His rights as the Son of God to become a servant. And we have that, that term, a bondservant or bondslave. They were ones who willingly gave up their rights to serve their Master. A bondservant or a bondslave had nothing that they owned themselves. It all belonged to the Master. And Jesus Christ gave up His authority and power as God Himself to come to serve us as this bondservant, this bondslave. It says He made Himself of no reputation. He emptied Himself of His divine authority to take on the burdens of the world. What would that bondservant or that bondslave do? They would take on the burdens of their Master. And Jesus Christ has taken on the burdens of the world. And as we think of 
the crucifixion and, and what took place on that crucifixion day. When Jesus Christ, God's Son, took on the burdens of the world, it's amazing the, the darkness that came upon Jerusalem in the middle of the day. And as God placed the burden of our sin on His Son who died for us. Jesus Christ served others. Now, in, in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, there's two important aspects. The incarnation... The first one is this, that this is our way of salvation. This is our hope for eternity. Jesus Christ, God's Son, gave Himself as He came to this earth to die for us and then to rise again. But Paul is also challenging us to have this mind like Christ. And in order to have the mind like Christ, we must serve one another. And we, as we serve God, we will serve others. And so Paul is saying, listen, have this mind of Christ. This servant mind. But Christ's action didn't stop at serving. He also sacrificed for others. He made Himself of no reputation. He gave up His divine authority. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on in verse 8 and says, "...and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Not only did He serve, but He sacrificed. He sacrificed Himself for our sins and endured one of the most humiliating and painful deaths. That is the death of crucifixion. A death so miserable and painful, humiliating that the Roman government would not allow a Roman citizen to be crucified because it was too humiliating for even the worst of their, of their citizens. And so we see that Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. Sometimes it, it's, it's never easy but it's not hard sometimes to serve. But it is incredibly difficult to serve when that service asks for sacrifice on our part. And Paul was saying, listen, have the mind of Christ. This mind of Christ who was willingly set aside the authority and power that he had in order to serve us, but to serve us sacrificially. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. And the amazing thing is if I was the only person who ever lived, Jesus Christ would have served and sacrificed for me. If you were the only person who ever lived. Why did He do that? He did that because He desires to have relationship with us. And so He gave His life so that our sins could be forgiven. That sin that separates us from God could be covered and forgiven. And we can have relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on in verses 9-11. through 11, Just like 
Jesus' sacrifice or His life did not end at the crucifixion. He rose again. We see that He will be exalted. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus willingly set aside His power, His authority. We know that He will be exalted. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. When we talk about the Kingdom of God, as Jesus came, the Kingdom of God came to earth, but as we learned yesterday, it was the idea of now, not yet. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. For every person who is living, who has ever lived, there will come a day when they will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, when will they do it? When will we do it? during our life as we confess our sin and ask Him to be our Savior and Lord or in eternity when our judgment is set and the recognition comes. God the Father will exalt His Son and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how does this affect us? How does this change who I am? We're to have this mind. Paul was talking to the church at Philippi. It was a group of people that had given their lives to Christ. They were followers of Christ. They were facing incredibly difficult times. They were facing persecution and poverty. But in all of it, Paul was saying you need to be unified. Because Satan desired to destroy the testimony and the work of the church. And so, Satan, if Satan could cause discord or disunity within the church, then the testimony of the church and the work of the church would be destroyed. And so Paul was saying, listen, you need to be unified. You need to have this one mind that you need to be united in spirit. You need to be united in purpose as you maintain the same love. And you do that through humility. But humility is something that does not come naturally. Why? Because we have, we use the term a sin nature or the natural man. And where did that begin? How does that affect us? Well, in Isaiah 14, we see the story of Satan rebelling against God. And We see the the difference in a contrast between Jesus Christ, God's Son, and Satan. You could consider it the thy will, I will contrast. What did Jesus do? If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as He was preparing, knowing that He was going to be arrested and tried, convicted, and crucified. 
What did he say? Father, if possible, have this removed me from a but, not my will, but yours be done. The humility and sacrifice, humility he demonstrated, the sacrifice he was willing to give for us. As he humbled himself under the will of his Father. What about Satan? In Isaiah 14, you, you see a series of statements that Satan made in rebelling against God. And they begin with the phrase, I will. I will ascend. And eventually, I will be like God. See, for Satan, it was all about him. And it still is. Now, as Satan tempts us, he wants us to think it's all about us, but in his temptation, it's all about him. But how did that proceed into our lives, into the world? Well, you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What was Satan's temptation? Go ahead and eat. Why? Because you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Huh. To be like God. The power and authority. Sounds pretty good. Adam and Eve ate. And every human being throughout history continuing on to the end of the history of the world, has that same sin nature. And the foundation of that sin nature is the pride, or as John says in 1 John chapter 2, the pride of life. I want to be like God. It needs to be about me. We use the term humanism. What does humanism mean? It means simply that God is the center, or excuse me, man is the center of it all. And in our lives, in our natural response, is that we, as people, are the center. But God says, no, He needs to be the center, and we need to humbly respond like our ultimate example, Jesus Christ, to say, not my will, but yours be done. That humility. How does it affect the church? Well, we looked at that last week. The idea of humbly putting others before ourselves. And when we do that, guess what happens? We serve each other. We sacrifice for each other. We encourage each other. How does that happen in, or how does that affect other areas of our lives? If you're married, think of your marriage as both of you humbly serve each other. Your goal is to see your spouse succeed. And you pour your life into them and, and you allow them to be more Christ-like by your actions. 
How about our other relationships, in our families, in our friendships, at the job, where we serve and sacrifice for one another? Those relationships become opportunities for us to help them. But what's Satan busy doing? He's Satan busy, he's busy saying, hey, what about you? Think of yourself. You're going to get the short end of the stick. Don't let them do that to you. And we begin to have those selfish and prideful feelings where we want to say, it's all about me. How's this going to affect me? When God says, have the mind of Christ, it's all about Him. Him being God. And as it's all about Him, then it becomes all about them. The people around us that God puts into our lives. Are we willing to serve and to sacrifice for others? Just like Christ, we need to have this attitude. We need to have the attitude that just like Christ will be willing to give up our privileges and look to the benefit of others. Just like Christ, we're to serve others rather than seek to be served. Just like Christ, we must be willing to sacrifice in order to humbly put others first. Remember verses 3 and 4? Not only look on your own things, but also on the things of others. I challenge you to put some names in there. Because we, we can say the phrase, you remember the two greatest commandments? Jesus was, he basically summarized the Ten Commandments in the law on two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments, we'll see if some of you were paying attention yesterday. The first four, our relationship with God. The last six, our relationship with others. And if we don't do the first four, the last six won't happen. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I could say, I don't know about you, but I do know about you. Because I know about me. I don't have any trouble loving me. The challenge is, do I love others? Verse 4, don't think just about your own things, but think about the things of others. And so he challenged that unity through humility, and then he said, now let's look at the ultimate example. Who are we called to be like? We're called to be like Christ. How are we to be like Christ? In our attitude of humility. Putting others first. Now last week, and I realize this overlaps with last week because this is just the visual picture of what the principle of last week was that was laid out in the first four verses. And that visual picture is to see what Jesus Christ did for us and to imitate that. To reflect that into the lives of others. 
That is what we're called to do. And I guarantee you, when we do that, it radically changes how we live. When we do that, it radically changes our relationships. When we do that, it radically changes our church. Why? Because when we do that, it radically changes us. And that is what we're called to do. The incarnation, Jesus Christ, God Himself, taking on human flesh, fully God yet fully human, and the incredible sacrifice that He made as He served and as He died for us. And the eternal impact that that makes upon us when we trust Him as our Lord and Savior. But also the example of Christ that we're to live out in our life each and every day. As we serve and as we sacrifice for God into the lives of others. So this week, the challenge is there. I guarantee you, Satan's going to say, hey, what about you? What about you? Don't forget you. You know? He wants us to be like Burger King. Let's do it our way. What helps me? But we need to do it so much differently. So this week, as you drink a Gatorade and think of your glorious athletic days, change your mindset. Think about what it means to be like Christ. Humbly serving and sacrificing for others. And then the amazing thing is, and this isn't the reason we do it, but God has promised that when we display an attitude of humility, God will lift us up. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. When we demonstrate humility, we promote unity, and we honor God. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You that as Almighty God, You love us. Thank You that we can faithfully or that we see that you faithfully loving on us, us and your grace toward us. Help us to faithfully serve you and to humbly follow your will as we serve and sacrifice for others. Lord, we will give you the glory for what you do. And we thank you for your blessings in our lives each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.